I should have guessed. I should have guessed that something was up. I should have guessed it. We weren't supposed to go down that little alleyway. We weren't supposed to meet this little group of mothers and neighbors gathered around a bowl of tobacco and a pile of tendu leaves. But that's usually how the God flow works. That's what I call it, the God flow. A phrase large enough, deep enough, serious enough to describe these profound experiences of incarnation, God in us, God flowing through us, God around us as an every time event. I should have guessed the God flow when we went down that little alleyway, but it was a surprise. Our group of Unitarian Universalists had been traveling in India for a week and a half on a human rights witness pilgrimage with the UU Holding India program. We'd borne witness to the latest mutation of human slavery in the brick pits scattered all over the Indian countryside. We'd applauded the village laborers who had entirely changed the power dynamics between workers and landowners as workers had laid it all on the line in solidarity to make a better, a fairer life for themselves. Horrible beatings, protests, and arrests were part of every person's story. We'd sat in the classrooms of the girls' school, Vidayak Sansed, moved to tears as the poorest of the poor, the girl children of bonded laborers, sang songs about destroying oppression. Girls, three years old, sang that prayer that you said today. They sing it every day. And they shared their dreams of becoming engineers or teachers to serve Mother India. Our group had now traveled to Indore to understand the work of Siwa, a women's union fighting for the rights of women vegetable sellers, brick and textile laborers, trash sorters, and beady workers. The women who roll and pack a thousand cigarettes per day called a beady, a poor man's cigarette. We were brought into a medium-sized Siwa home in the district consisting of two rooms, a small kitchen and a living slash dining slash sleeping area about the size of an American walk-in closet. The women's hands and bodies moved in a graceful choreography born out of years and years of producing 1,000 beady cigarettes per day. Tindu leaves cut in uniform rectangles rolled around a small metal funnel stuffed with tobacco and tied with a thin yellow thread. 
The women smiled and kind of shook their heads as we tried our hands at rolling a cigarette. They, they graciously put their hands in, in theirs as we fumbled with leaves and spilled tobacco on the floor, producing a very lumpy, sorry little cigarette. Each woman is charged with producing a thousand beedi per day for 80 rupees, the equivalent of a dollar and 30 cents. This may seem like a pittance to us, but this is light years from where the beedi workers began before the women's union took hold 30 years prior. 1,000 beedi used to get them 19 cents per day along with being consistently cheated out of government aid programs, their pension rights, their daily production numbers with so-called quality control, and a cultural structure that drove home day in and day out that women and girls are less than, unworthy of basic human rights, freedom of movement, freedom of thought, freedom to own your own body. The, the union women were proud of their work as well they should be. They had moved mountains. These were warrior organizers, warrior organizers, pushing against a corrupt system, enduring beatings, jail time, rape, but making their voices heard because they were shouting in unison, we are human beings. We demand our dignity. We demand it. So as our group walked down that little alleyway, moving in the God flow, I was expecting the same kind of exchange. I was expecting that little yellow thread of hope to be tied around the end of a story like the end of a little cigarette. There they were. A group of mothers and grandmothers gathered around a bowl of tobacco, but one young woman stood out. Her face just shone. Her three-year-old child stood at her shoulder. I didn't mean to sit across from her, but there I was. And there she was, smiling so brilliantly with so much invitation. Our eyes locked, and she just started talking to me, telling me things. Words were just pouring out of her, as if I could understand what she was saying. It didn't seem to matter. It was like we were in a connected psychic tunnel, our smiles illuminating the space between us. And her smile kept saying, don't look away. Don't look away. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something, and it's important. Stay with me. I asked Derek Mitchell, our guide, our confidant, our translator of culture and language, and the executive director of the Holding Program, no less, to translate for me. I said, Derek, what is she saying? What is she trying to tell me? And her voice came out of his mouth. I wish I could smile while well, I'm going to say the next part, but I can't do it. 
because then I could communicate this incredible, this incredible thing that happened. This is what she said. I want something different. I want something different. I want to live another way. I long to live another way. I want something different for my children. I want them to go to school, but school is too expensive. 200 rupees a month. But if I were to try something else, some other job, women would gossip about me when I left my house. I would be accosted or raped if I left my house. My children wouldn't be safe. So I roll the beady. This is my lot. I've started calling this moment my Christ moment, my Buddha moment, a little window in time when the voice of the divine teacher, the voice of love, which is not always gentle, breaks into this reality and explodes my ability to separate my life from another's life. This young, beautiful mother and I were connected in this moment of truly meeting. Her smile, her shining countenance would not let me look away. Her face kept saying, stay with me, stay with me. My life is wretched. This is the truth. Don't look away. Don't look away. Look here. Look here. Do you see me? Will you meet me? The great Jewish philosopher Martin Buber says, all real living is meeting. And that's what happened in the alleyway. I met a young woman. The God in me met the God in her. Buddhists and Hindus say, namaste. Buber calls it the I-thou relationship. It is I, whole and holy, confronted by thou whole and holy being. So many times in our encounters with the world, with nature, with other people, other cultures, other ways of being, we practice the I-it relationship. I compartmentalize you. I computerize you. I friend you. I tweet you. I experience you. I assume you. I make thou you and it. This is not real relationship. It's not real meeting. Love cannot come to pass in the I-it relationship. Love is only between I and thou. In the coming of age class a couple of weeks ago, we tried to define the word love, and it was hard. Right, you guys? Yeah. 
really hard. It was nearly impossible. We could only talk around it. Love is more than a feeling, says Buber. It is something we take our stand in. Love is responsibility, a responding to thou, to manifest, to truly meet in the presence of one another, meaning I will be what I will be, and you will be what you will be. I open myself to see you as you are, not as a reflection of my reality imposed on you. Buber writes, and I will paraphrase a bit, the person who does not understand love as between I and thou does not know love. Even though they may ascribe to it the feeling they live through, experience, enjoy, and express, love is more than a feeling. Love ranges in its effects through the whole world. In the eyes of those who take their stand in love, and gaze out from that place, people are cut free from their entanglement in bustling activity. Good people and evil, wise and foolish, beautiful and ugly become real to this person. That is, people are set free. They step forth out of it status and confront us as thou. This is what I've come to understand is the most important, most powerful part of my pilgrimage to India. I met thou over and over and over again. I met people joining together as thous in powerful actions of justice, making the powers that be hear them. I met thous in the schoolyard. I met thous in remote villages fighting for their water rights. I met thou in a little alleyway. Our group did not go to India to help build a school or organize a health clinic or teach English. We were there to be in the presence of thou to be confronted with the waiting, enduring thou. Been doing a lot of thinking about what next. To be entirely honest with you, I don't know. I'm truly sitting in the question. What am I to do with all these touch points of thou, these incredible stories of solidarity? What am I to do with the reality of a globalized monetary system that can only survive by making people its, making nature it, making you and me its? What am I to do with the fact that two-thirds of the world's population is enslaved in abject poverty so one-third of the world's population can have things? What am I to do with the devastating fallout of the caste system I witnessed there or the caste system I live in here? My heart is broken, that's all I know. 
since getting back, I've been having the same dream over and over again, night after night. I'm on a bus with a bunch of people, or I'm in a maze of some kind, and then I get on the bus, but I always end up on the bus. And sometimes I look out the window and I see a crumpled bicycle lying up against a pile of rubble. And sometimes I see structures being built and sometimes the landscape is open. The roads are dirt and it's dark out. I don't know where I am. I'm not here in the United States and I'm not in India. But I'm told or I just intuitively know that I'm supposed to get on another bus. I'm supposed to be going another way. The bus keeps going. It, it has a lot of momentum. It's got a lot of people on it. And they're all going in the same direction, but I'm supposed to get off. I'm supposed to get on another bus. At first, I thought, I'm dreaming about buses because our group was always on a bus. A bus to use Uskan, a bus to Mumbai. But now I think my psyche, my spirit is trying to sort out what next? What next? I have this strong urge to go pack my bags and head back to India right now to teach, to live in villages, to advocate, whatever I can do. But I know that any one of these choices is a drop in the bucket compared to the seismic shifts necessary for a more just world, a fairer framework for life. It's the wrong bus. Charity, helping others, is in my bloodstream. It's the genetic coding passed down to me from my Christian root system. Jesus was charitable, and we should be charitable too. Charity is a natural response to witnessing hardship, the heartbreak of others. We want to do something. We want to help. And I think if, if we're honest, if I'm honest, I want to feel better about myself. I want to feel better about myself in the face of poverty and sickness and disenfranchisement. I want to ease this heartache that's keeping me up at night. The other snag in charity work is that it's very hard to maintain the I-thou relationship. The other person becomes an object of our pity, our remorse, something or someone I experience and I must do something to help. But I'm not in relationship with them. I'm not in that exchange of I and thou, a presence in which we transform one another. We bring one another into being more fully thou. We may experience the feeling of love, but it's not love in which people are set free. This kind of charity may make me feel better, but it doesn't get at what I think we're actually being called to do, what I am being called to do. We are being called to live as fully and as frequently as we can in I-thou relationship. 
This is the bus I'm trying to get on. This is the love we need to stand within. It is the charity, the cherishing of thou in us, through us, around us. Our racial justice training is part of this love. Our stand with Black Lives Matter and the Minnesota Interfaith Power and Light is part and parcel of this love. It is true meeting. If there is anything at all that I have learned from this trip, it is the power of coming together as thou's and building an inclusive, nonviolent movement which pushes back at a framework that is hell-bent on making everything and everyone and it. I've seen what it looks like when thou's speak out in unison, protesting in the villages of Uskan. I have felt what it feels like when thou's assemble in a rotunda of the Mall of America, telling their stories in public action and reframing public discourse. Shift starts to happen. That's what Bishop Pearson said last week. Shift happens. S-H-I-F-T. <laughs> yes. Step-by-step step power dynamics move. Shift happens. Many stones build the arch of a fairer wage or buffer zones around the Minnesota waterways. Shift happens. Drops of water turn the mill, and the director of the FBI gives an unprecedented speech in which he outlines a national debate on racism and its effects on policing. Shift happens. Amen, Amen brother. <laughs> in Uskan and in resistance movements all over India, people greet one another like this. Zindabad! They sometimes do this, but where I was, everybody was doing this. Zindabad! It means life to us. Life to us. Life to the revolution. I hear. I am thou. Life to us. I want to ask something of you all. I want to ask something of this congregation today. I want to send a message of support and solidarity to the union workers and the warrior organizers of Uskan. I want them to know that the God in us honors the God in them, that the work they do, that the work we do is connected. It's all connected in the God flow. First, I want us to send that message in our monetary gifts to the Holding India Project and the visionaries they support through our offering. But second, and just as important, and maybe even more importantly, I would love to send a message of solidarity in song and spirit. When you're slogging through the shift, whether here or in the alleyways of indoor, companionship Companionship <laughs> matters. <laughs> A 
Amen. Relationship with the waiting, enduring vow matters. So here's what I want, I would like to ask you to do. I'd like you to stand up and sing step by step one more time. Then we're going to close our hymnals. And then we're going to say, Zindibad, like that. And we're going to raise our hands like this. And Jen is going to take a picture of us. And I am going to send it to Vivek. So first, before it happens, let's practice. <laughs> Call and response. I do it first. Zindibad! Zindibad! Excellent. Everybody stand up. I'm going to come down there so I'm in the picture.